Hey everyone, this is Ann Doherty, and you are listening to Current, an energy podcast with Illum Advising. I'm your host today, I'm one of the founders of Illum, and I have the pleasure of introducing you to my colleagues, Dave Shemillard, our managing consultant, graphic designer, and production, and Dorsey Kaufman, uh, one of our uh, graphic designers here at Illum. Dave, um, who many of you have met or may have met over the years, is a seasoned graphic designer with more than 30 years of experience in creating really cool sort of distinctive graphics. Dave's long history in graphic design and in production is something that we're going to talk about today and how that influences his style. And then we're going to connect with Dorsey Kaufman, as I mentioned earlier, who is a graphic designer with Illum. Dorsey brings a different perspective and um, as a graphic designer and has experience with multimedia design and user-centered interactive design and data visualization. I love listening to the two of them talk to each other, so I don't want to prolong this introduction. I'm excited for you to get to know Dave and Dorsey, or D&D as I call them, and learn a little bit more about what we get up to at Illum. We'll even give you a little preview of our 2023 magazine. So with that, welcome Dave and Dorsey. Dave and Darcy, I'm so excited to have you guys here today. For those folks listening, I have the privilege and pleasure of talking to Dave and Darcy, who are two incredible uh, designers in our MBD team at Illum. And I am going to just jump right in and start chatting with these incredible folks because I'm excited for you to get to know them. All right, so I'm going to start with Dorsey, and then we're going to kick it to Dave. And I, I love your names together because I keep thinking you as like the D&D group, but like Dungeons and Dragons, but cooler. So much cooler. So Dorsey, can you give us the Campbell Soup version of your bio and your story, like two to three sentences, and then we'll kick it to Dave. The other Yeah, day. yeah, totally. I also, I love the D&D reference. We need to have like an Illum D&D or something. Um, but I would describe myself as a multimedia designer and graphic artist with a background in science communication. So I really enjoy the challenge of translating complex topics and raw data to broader audiences. So going from those sort of cells in an Excel sheet to design visualizations that tell a story. And there's certain frameworks that really inspire me, like user equity-centered design, participatory design, and design thinking. All right, Dave, you're up. Yeah, if, um, if I was introducing myself to somebody and they said, what do you do? I'd I tell them I'm a designer, I'd probably specify a graphic designer. What that really means is I'm a visual problem solver, um, ideally communicating as much as possible, as simply as possible. You know, that's, that's the real high level version of it. Lately, I've been thinking about design as a system and a style, which has a lot to do with um, Illum and our practice areas and things like that. That's cool. I want to talk more about that. I think, but I think we have plenty of time to dig in. Um, I also love the contrast between your two bios. Like Dave, you're like straight to the point, which I feel like is kind of your design style. And Dorsey, you're like adding texture, which I think will also kind of come out a little bit in your um, histories too. So now I'm going to start with you, Dave. Prior to joining Illum, can you talk a little bit about what you were doing and, and the work that you were doing and um, maybe a little bit about your background in education and then we'll have Dorsey do the same. Yeah, I'd probably say the noteworthy 
thing about it is I've been at it a while. Um, I, I went to art school in the mid 80s and uh, entered the field in 87 and um, have seen so many changes uh, in the industry since then in, in design. I mean, the first job I had was an agency job and I didn't even have a computer. We had a dark room, we had a fax machine, we did everything analog, um, marker comps, mechanicals, uh, things like that. So I think that um, that influences a lot of my style now, looking back uh, and just seeing those changes. And even in the timeline we're in right now with how we have so many technological advantages, but we have so many old technologies that we still rely on. I mean, I can give lots of examples, but um, it's it's very interesting to, to look back on that. And I think that a lot of my style and my influence really is, is based on that spectrum of time. And just, you know, <laughs> seeing things fall out of, of style and come back in is just one of those things that's, that's uh, really, really funny to, to think about. So there's always this kind of sense of wonder in a way, like, you know, even like, I'll be damned, that worked, that's still around, you know? Um, so anyway, I think that, is there an answer there? <laughs> I think there's an answer there. Okay. And I also, I'm still hung up on the fax machine, you know? Yeah. Like, yes. <laughs> I love it. Did you fax designs to people? What we would do, uh, this was really getting into uh, typesetting. Um, it's really funny back then, even like, the difference between a font and a typeface, you know, but yeah. back then, I mean, a typeface, we're talking about a, a family yeah. times New Roman. And if we were talking about a font, we would be like times New Roman italic. But if somebody says change the font, I know what they mean. Uh, yeah. But back then that was, that was really it. You were talking with typesetters and, and they would correct you. No. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it, but it was very, it was very, uh, very arcane. You would basically spec type. You'd have to write up what you wanted it to be, what size, all that. You'd write up the specs. You'd basically have typewritten copy that you'd mark up and you would fax that to the typesetter. And two or three days later, you'd get the galleys of type. Um, oh, wow. You know, I mean, unless you wanted to put a rush on it and pay double, then you'd get it overnight. But that was one thing. Everything took so long, it seems, yeah. compared to, to now. Uh, how yeah. is. So, There's kind yeah. of a luxury in that, I bet, too. Just breathing some air into process a bit. Yeah. Yeah, it's actually interesting because this is one of the first conversations that Dave and I had when I was first hired on the job because I'm I was right at the cusp where technology and like social media was sort of being introduced to me yeah. growing up, uh, you know, in high school, kind of into college. And uh, so I got started at a, a local print shop. That was my first design job. And we were I was telling Dave, I was like, we were still doing analog and printed out job tickets. So we didn't even have uh -huh. an, an interface where everything was was stored. So I kind of, I've seen a transition even because now everything's so accelerated. I've seen a transition from getting started where now there's more, it's more templatized, you know, there's all this AI design as well. So um, not probably, well, I know not nearly as long as Dave, but I've worked nearly 10 years in different design settings. I was a digital lab tutor for a little bit. I did a lot of post-production video editing and uh, produced some commercials. I did a lot of freelance and then uh, moving to 
Arizona, the U of A actually brought me here with a really unique position where I would be learning and getting my MFA in the fine arts program. And then um, coupled with working in an environmental science laboratory under a national uh, science foundation grant. So it was really interesting. Okay. I got kind of scaffolded and introduced to, to research and uh, the scientific methods and how to approach certain work while pushing those design concepts in that in that scientific setting. Um, so yeah, I got some of the traditional early on and then went into this experimental kind of new space in, in my master's and then landed here because you know there's so many crossovers with the social science research questions here. Yeah. And so much, I mean, the both of you are doing is really like, you know, translating complex information into into visual art forms or ways of communicating that help to distill and better um, bring to life really what we do, because there's only so much you can do on a page in written form. And what you do in design is um, a pretty special thing. I'm also feeling really envious of both of your sort of like early career days. I was like in a computer lab, you know, writing out term papers and smoking cigarettes in between at like midnight, you know, it it feels way dark, darker and less interesting than what you guys got to do. But, you know, kind of related to those, those stories and your histories, can you talk a little bit about your design process and how you typically approach design? And since we just heard from Dorsey, Dave, I'm going to kick it to you and then we go back to Dorsey. I'm super analog, man. I, I have got to get it on paper. Um, I think that, you know, just in general, I'm a list maker in, in general, but really for me, uh, even when I've got written copy, if I have written text, I've got to print it out. Um, I've, I've got to highlight it, mark up the, you know, the margins with ideas and things like that. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of messy at first. You know, I don't really like going straight into software if I can help it. Sometimes yeah. there, are, there are times I will if it's a, a production-based task and I've, I've already done one similar and I'm really just rebuilding it that way. Cool. Yeah, I can do it that way. But I think that the process really starts uh, with me putting pen or pencil to paper um, and then seeing what I've got. So that's, that's one uh, approach that just, um, I just can't, I, I have no, really no interest in shaking that. I think that um, it's, it's what, what works, but you know, there, there can be issues with it, you know, retention, remembering things, all that. It's, it's just, it's, it's a process that I have to, uh, I have to work through. I'm with you, Dave. I have to work with my hands in order to remember things. And so even though I'll never go back to my notes, I have to actually like physically write them out in order to retain it because I was taught in an analog world, right? Like you, there's, I think there's something to like the somatic experience of doing those things, like the mind body engagement that is really important. I think when you grow up that way, at least that's my, that's my prevailing theory. How about you, Dorothy? Well, it's funny. It's funny hearing Dave talk about that because he says, oh, you know, you can lose track of some of those, those written pieces. But I've been in meetings where Dave has brought out a note from 2015. (laughs) And it's like, oh, this one brand meeting that I had with Anne, and this is what she was mentioning. And he'll remember it while we're talking about, you know, a brand overhaul in, you know, we're 2023 now. And he'll remember, oh, I had this conversation in, you know, 2015 or 2018 and bring out the note from it. So I feel like whatever filing system you have, Dave, is, <laughs> is still pretty intact. 
That's awesome. I love it. I certainly don't have that filing system, but go ahead, Dorsey. (laughs) Yeah, well, actually, it's funny because Dave's been over. We're in this workspace that we call Pluto in in Illum at the Illum office in Tucson. And we call it Pluto because it's kind of in this little little isolated area in the corner where you have to walk through a hallway to get there. But Dave has been over to my desk, me over to his, and we do have a lot of scrap papers lying around with different notes. I would say the difference maybe, or the unique thing about my approach would be that I, I do... I I have to wrap my head around something conceptually, which sounds like, oh, you know, there's so much thinking that's involved, but really it's like, I have to know about the job and just let it sit in the back of my mind for a little while. And it's almost like considering it without actively thinking about it. And then I would say in the process bit is that I work very iteratively and embrace collaboration in my process. So basically I don't like to just make something pretty. I've done that before and and I enjoy that, you know, it brings a lot of excitement and, and spark to something, but I really like speaking with people from different backgrounds, like different stakeholders, field experts, or a, a subsample of end users, you know, know how the design is going to be applied. Um, and then also researchers or practitioners to understand the why behind behind why I'm designing something or what's most important to capture. And that can be something more abstract, like a mood or it can be very concrete of what we want people to take away or how we want people to interact with something. So I like to learn about the topic that I'm visualizing. And I think that knowledge then can be reflected in the design in a lot of ways and affects how, how well it works and how it enters into the world. Yeah. I love also that you brought up that the process of kind of just reflecting and sitting with information for a while as part of creative process. I find I do that and I need to do that with writing, but by the time I get to writing, I can write directly through, but it might take me a week to be writing in my brain over and over and over again in order to get to a place where I can actually like put it on paper and turn it into an actual product. Um, can I add something just real yeah, quick? Um, yeah. Dorsey really hit on something super important. Um, and, and one thing, I mean, obviously anybody who's listening right now, uh, Dorsey is, I, I, I'm going to embarrass you for a minute, Dorsey. I mean, but like, <laughs> Dorsey is super impressive, like to work with her skill set and, and all that. And the thing that um, that's really great about us working together, I think, um, Dorsey is so organized, like, yeah, like might be thinking about that, but like, can produce stuff like a machine. Like it is really, really, it's been uh, quite an experience. Uh, We've, we've been working together. It's been about seven months, but it feels, um, you know, a lot longer in a really good way. And uh, I really, really appreciate uh, it's been such an impact for me and and working here. So uh, I felt like I had to say that right away, but um, (laughs) what, what you had said, Dorsey, about that, about that time to reflect on it. I think that that is so key. Um, One of the things about like going to art school early on in a way, I think it's a method of them kind of weeding out people who might be, who might be good at this. You you almost kind of get addicted to the feeling of pulling an all nighter to complete something, you know, like you get this impossible task and then there's kind of like a rush in that. But what ends up happening is you feel like you can't really produce unless you have that sense of impending panic and doom. And (laughs) that, you know, that, that's, that's an emergency move, but that isn't necessarily a plan. And I think that, um, 
in taking the, the time between them and that refining, and you would both hit on that, like that really is huge. And I think that that's why, you know, a lot of people will say, I come up with my best ideas in the shower. It's not the shower. It's that they're away from work and they're completely yeah. disassociated from the thing, you know? And, and I think that that can be a curse and a blessing. Um, sometimes it never stops, you know, and, and um, you know, being a creative, I know a lot of people talk about insomnia, you know, we talk about, you know, things like that, but I think that, you know, long-term um, doing things like this really, the magic really is in the gaps, I think. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Sometimes it's in the work, but really it is in that thing, so. Yeah, totally. It's like having, allowing life to enter into what you're producing and being open to those experiences. Like you'll come by an object at someone's house, you'll go to a show and suddenly that'll trigger something that you're like, wait a second. That's happened to me a couple of times with designs of, yeah. you know, seeing something visual that I'm like, oh, this, this relates somehow. And those discoveries are really, really cool. Yeah. And it is, it's like giving your brain space to make those connections, like to build out the, the sort of connective tissue and links between ideas and concepts. And like you said, Darcy, your physical world and what you're trying to manifest or, you know, how you're trying to sort of convey something really, because I think sometimes you just, you know, as you said, you kind of like need that space. When you guys are working with our research teams, like how do you typically collaborate and what types of projects do you support? I think it'd be useful to like have our listeners have a better understanding of what this looks like day to day. So when you're in Pluto or, you know, operating at, you know, from your home office or even just taking those like walks and mental space from the work, like where does the research team come into that and the work come into that? You want to go first? Yeah, I, you want me to? Yeah, yeah. Because what immediately comes to mind for me is one of uh, a recent project that I was brought into uh, from a project manager here at Illum, and uh, we were mapping the experience that limited English proficiency customers of a utility had with navigating through some of their energy efficiency programs, and so. I, this experience was really, really interesting. I was brought into what we call a WIM meeting or what it means, where we bring in all of the data analysts that have been working with this qualitative data from interviews and focus groups. And in one document, they all add and share the major findings from this research. So you can imagine how this information starts to stack up and come together. And, you know, we start organizing and nest things into larger themes and what's really cool about being part of the analysis is that you're there in real time and you're hearing it take place. So for about two hours, you get to see all of this information that's take, taken, you know, months, if not a year to compile and see the customer pain points and dropout points and real quotes of their experiences. And also the data analyst ideas of, of how to fill out the story and what we want to communicate in a customer journey map. So really, like, I think integrating into the analysis, understanding some of the research, it's not that you have to be an expert, but really knowing the message and what people want to portray and how that can impact the people looking at the visualization mm -hmm. is, is really key. And I think what how that gets shaped is in the meetings following the analysis where I present different visual forms and various options to show how we can visually present this information. And it's a process that takes a little bit of 
exploration and back and forth to ensure that we're landing on this design that does the data justice essentially and maintains its integrity and robustness and connects to that human experience. So it's it's been really cool. And usually those get shared out with larger stakeholder groups and the larger research team, and then it got, gets brought back into the conversation. So it's this I really like that exchange. We have a nice back and forth of, okay, I'm hearing something and now I'm going to have, a, have to pivot slightly in the design to capture and, and register all that's being brought in as this input. Yeah, that, that's a really great summation. I, I would definitely um, agree, especially keying in on the iterative side of it, where it data visualization takes a lot of iteration. But I, I think that's what it is because they're, what the data shows and what the data shows in a visual way can open up different avenues. There's There have been times where we've been working on something and we think this is the angle and then that changes. Uh, I think that over the past few months, um, we're, we're kind of pivoting to the magazine that's coming out, but we're working on the digital version of the magazine, which has really been um, a learning experience in a lot of ways. And one of the things that is impressive about it is how quickly in the past number of months this has really come together. Um, like this had started, and sorry if I'm jumping ahead, I know that's gonna be an eventual question, but uh, it has been a, a learning thing. And even like the type of research we do, um, there, there's, it's it's a different style. Like one of the articles is very qualitative and, and we're talking about that. And Dorsey and I talk a lot offline about just what that process has been and, and what, to refine that that story, the challenges are with it, um, whether it's visual, or editorial, or, or et cetera. So I really come at this with broad themes, but one of the things that I talk a lot about, and I think production hears it a lot, I feel like we're working against the idea of too much cognitive overhead. In other words, how is the person that's going to interact with this. How are they going to receive it? What platform, you know, are they, the, are they like me? Like if they get a five page document, are they going to print it out and read it? Are mm -hmm. they engaging with this on a mobile device? And even on a mobile device, I feel like just personally, I, I feel more hurried. Like when I'm on a mobile device, I don't want to spend a lot of time on a mobile device, you know, like, I, but if yeah. I've got a magazine and I'm sitting down, I'm a captive reader, you know, I mean, it's like, so I think about that a lot. And I think that that's a moving target. That's something that we have to solve. Um, mm -hmm. So yes, there's definitely packaging this, communicating what's important. How do we essentialize that? How do we make it clear? How is there a clear visual hierarchy? But how is it going to be used? Like how will, what will the end reader do with it? Those are unknowns. And I think those are the things that really push me outside of my comfort zone. I think mm -hmm. I, I want to know that stuff and I just don't always. Dorsey, yeah. can you relate to that? Do you know what I'm... Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I even think <clears throat> of what you're saying with, it's almost as if as designers, I don't think this is the best way to put it, but it's like we have this little bag of tricks, like tools in our arsenal of making data visual. And I think it's really hitting on what you said, Dave, of helping your brain see patterns. When you see data in new ways, you're looking at it in a new light and you're you're kind of seeing these these different ways of presenting and scaffolding. And so it's it's not about giving an easy answer or this is the one solution, but it's kind of editing and being open along the way to see what you can produce together rather than, you know, just just saying that you have the answer and sticking with that. So there, it's a process and it's kind of employing these visual hierarchies, these visual ideas to, 
to see something new take shape, which which takes time. It's been quite an involved process. You know, too, one thing I, I, I think, and this is really kind of getting a little bit into like the, the timeline that we live in, but I feel like misinformation is such a problem right now where I almost <laughs> feel like I want to, I want us to play it so straight with like what we're showing and all that just to, just to fight against that or, or to compensate, you know, for that, where it's like, you know, really, this is like, what really is the the main thing, you know, with an image, with with a design, like like Dorsey had said, the bag of tricks. I mean, I think that's an apt description, you know. But <laughs> what are we what are we trying to do? Are we trying to communicate an idea? Are we trying to invoke a feeling? Are we trying to you know whatever? And I, I think design itself, especially in advertising, is coercive. You mm-hmm. know, like if we're trying to like you know design business to consumer we want an outcome the design that we do here is business to business so we don't really have to follow design trends it's a it's a different mission that we have but i think that really for me for it to really be successful it's got to be useful and design really has to support that really design doesn't drive that the design really just like enables that in a better way but really it's the information that's that's what makes it useful yeah yeah, well, yeah. bad bad design is everywhere and information saturation is everywhere. Yeah. So it's like it's about combating all of all of those <laughs> others, those other products and those other experiences out there and saying, you know, we we care enough to set ourselves apart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and what one of the things related to care that both of you said but didn't say directly is that you have a lot of end user empathy. You know, you're thinking about the circumstances and situations in which the folks who are engaging with our material are living in and working through. And Dave, you kind of mentioned, you know, in advertising, so much of it is coercive or it's about engineering a a behavioral response. And it's not as if we're not doing that to an extent, meaning like we started the magazine in an analog format because we wanted people to engage with the material while taking a break. Like we wanted their experience to be one of relaxation and to sort of gradually consume the information and sort of take it in, in a way that didn't feel like work, right? Because in this, you know, coming from a place of empathy as a, you know, as a business owner and as a worker, sometimes reading one more thing about the work that you do can feel really exhausting. So design is a way to breathe space into that experience and create um, a more accessible and friendly version of that information, but also inviting people to relax a little bit and use a different brain space. But as you said, we're now moving into this digital platform because the world has changed around us dramatically since 2020. And, you know, half the time we don't even know where to send analog things at this point in terms of sharing it. So how we engage in a digital platform is also very different. But what I love about um, working with you both is that you always center the people's experience that we're trying to engage and while elevating the messaging and the work of our team. So it's almost as if you're um, operating as liaisons or um, sort of brokers of those two experiences in the way that you do your work. I think it's very cool. Wow. And yeah. just described it so much, so much about yeah. it. That was like, that was it. Yeah. You got to the core of, <laughs> of what we were saying. Well, you guys are saying it, you say it all the time, you know, I have the benefit of listening and learning from you both, which is a really cool thing to, to experience. And Pluto is like by far one of my favorite places. <laughs> yes. Very I love cool. That. <laughs> Pluto is amazing. 
So let's talk about the the magazine for a minute. We're preparing to launch our 2023 magazine that Dave is talking about and Dorsey are talking about. Can you share a little bit about that magazine and you know what does set it apart from what we've done before? And either of you can jump in and answer that. Dorsey, do you want to go first? Because I feel like I'm going to talk about every issue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe it's better to start with the historic lead up to the new magazine. The, the thing that I, okay. I mean, a lot of great <laughs> things. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say great stuff about the magazine. So I, I started off um, as a freelancer with Alum. So when, right when I was getting ready to um, get hired on full time, we were finishing the first edition. So I was able to um, do some, some of the article uh, layout at that point. And then uh, 2019, we were doing the, the second uh, edition. And at that point, I was like, okay, so I'm responsible for this now. And it's got to be at least as good as last uh, issue. And, and it's got to go in different directions. The long and short of it, one of the things that I loved the most about it was it was a long-term deliverable. And most of the things that we work on are very short-term. Like there's probably about probably 20 uh, things that we have do a week, social media graphics, MBD things, you know, project support and all that. A lot of projects we have aren't long-term deliverables like that. And that was one of the things that I was like, wow, this is a really, this is a really cool thing. And, and having, uh, having that process of seeing how things change and, and, you know, what was happening. God, I feel like I'm going way off the rails here, but no, it, it was one of the things we were talking about. We, um, uh, it was, um, is your house making you sick? This was when we were dealing with COVID. Yeah. Um, this was the uh, later issue. And I remember saying early on, I'm like, we don't know how we're going to be talking about COVID or how we're going to be re representing COVID at this point. And COVID was horrific. Like people were dying. Like it was incredibly scary and disruptive. And, and there was just nothing, nothing good about it. Um, but what we ended up doing um, was actually representing COVID as radial circles and doing it in a really way that didn't feel gross, you know, like, you know, just because there was so much loss and so much uh, disruption with that. Uh, anyway, I, I think that if that was a short-term deliverable, I don't know if that would have been possible, you know, but we knew, you know, in June of that year, we were going to be, you know, finalizing that article in the fall. And, and, and I'm like, you know, I just, I don't know how we're going to be talking about COVID or what it's going to look like. And eventually we got to that point. That is something that's pretty cool. Having a long-term um, deliverable like that. So, yeah, yeah it seemed, I, I remember because I've, I've just been brought in now and been here for around five, six months. And uh, I remember coming in and really hearing this deliverable, the magazine, as this place that Illum collects its thoughts on all the research going on and really highlighting the most relevant, timely, and impactful research um, that's going on. But I, I did, I was presented in a way that it's like the most, uh, you know, investment of time to really show not only our immediate work and portfolio, but how we're placing these findings within the broader context of the uh, discourse around the energy sector, really, at large. And so the one example that comes to me right away with this newer edition as we're moving into the interactive is like, for example, we're seeing all different kinds of, of smart technology coming out and being used to monitor 
small business energy usage. And so highlighting like how do small businesses use this information, demonstrate their energy savings over time, and know if a certain kind of retrofit is right for them and where the utility comes in and supports certain decisions. So we're I think for the newer version, we're kind of breaking down, we're not only placing our research, but we're also breaking it down into these actionable takeaways for different audiences. Now that we're on this more open source platform that is the web that allows different audiences to come in. Um, and what's really cool is that some are very data visualization driven, which is kind of a new pivot and direction we're exploring. So we're able to highlight the capabilities of our data science team and how they're able to produce these kinds of, I mean, really, really powerful results and insights to our clients. So it's it's been really cool. I'm so glad like some of the larger projects I've been brought onto. It's really the way that my mind works too is kind of project by project and kind of getting really involved in the process. So this was one of the most perfect projects to start uh, by joining the company. I'm really excited for the launch. Yeah, me too. I'm super excited. Go ahead, Dave. Where are you? I was just going to say I'm super thankful that you're here because I would not do this without without you, Dorsey. I mean, this has been <laughs> like it's been great. You know, we talked about, and Dorsey hit on it a little bit, when, when we were first getting into it, we had one, one of the challenges with this has been the timeline and some of the stuff like, like the paint was still wet on some of this research, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> like working, like, you know, figuring this out. So anyway, one of the, the first meetings, we were all involved with it. And then as the other um, articles came along, we just decided, Dorsey, why don't you take these ones? I'll take these ones. And, and, um, we split them up and it's actually, it's, I think it's been really good and we collaborate with each other and show each other our work, but I feel like, I think that that's been a really good process for this. And, and I think that um, also with that too, I think there's just an intangible with trust, you know, like working yeah. with each other and just knowing that, you know, obviously I'm available to step in at any point to help. And I feel the same thing with Dorsey. And I think that as designers, there's nothing designers love more than, than showing our work. And so like, you know, we, we love like running stuff by and talking about process and all that. I mean, I feel that way speaking for myself. I think most designers are like that, but um, there, so there's just that, that thing there's, there's collaboration. And then there is also a level of validation with that period. Yeah. It's just this thing I talked early on about art school kind of weeding people out. We could talk about the wall crit. Dorsey was a teacher. She knows what I'm talking about. The wall yep. crit. And you would you would do your work. You would put your art on the wall. And the wall crit was the whole class would basically mm -hmm. uh, go over your work. And if you felt good about your work, you put it at the front. And people that weren't feeling good about their work, they'd put it towards the back because everybody would be so worn out by the end at the back, they, they would just be like done giving feedback. So, you know, and, anyway, uh, that, that, that's how it used to be, you know, and, and um, I think that there is that thing where it's like, yeah, it's it is scary because you you put it out. You had said it to me once and like everybody has an opinion on how something looks, you know, but um, that's just that's one of the, the challenges that, yeah. that we have. Uh, yeah, it's like, as a designer, you have to lean into that. You know, I tell my students, I taught these introduction courses to infographics and animation and graphic design at the University of Arizona before I came here. And I would always tell them, well, first, I would always switch up what side of the room I started on. So I kinda, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of, you know, looking yeah. back, I'm like, oh, that was a little bit, you know, I'd like kind of switch up where I was starting. But it, it's because it's like, you have to 
you have to understand design isn't just about you, you know, it's how it how it enters and works in the world. So yeah, the wall crits are infamous in, in art school and um, yeah. you're always feeling a certain kind of way when you first put your work on the wall and let others see and comment on it. But now it's like with with the D&D &D dream team, we're all like, oh yeah, like <laughs> it's, it's easy, you know, we're just gonna show kind of where we're at and try to, we're on the same team and like working to build something. Yeah, well, you know, visual form is the like the only universal language, right? And maybe also competency in the sense that I mean, not everyone's a great designer, but everyone understands visual language to some extent and certainly has opinions about it for sure, which is what you're saying, you know, Dorsey and Davey too, that leaning into that is an important part of the process because and we talk about this with our information too, from a research standpoint, once it's out there, it's not yours anymore. It's like now being used in all of these other ways that you honestly can't anticipate and you try to, but of course the life that it takes on after you and after its creation is very different. And in that way, also design is something you have to be super careful with. You know, we talk a lot about this as well, that as a, as a person representing information and being a steward of research, you know, what you convey in your art, it has to carefully represent what it is that we're trying to communicate because it can get taken so many different ways too. Yeah. And take yeah. out different life. Yeah. And you, you don't want to have a design that's, that's offensive and that's even showing someone in a way that's so closed and and just like based on stereotypical representations you know that's that's I think a lot of what imagery you're you're combating um this sort of monolith of what something is supposed to be it's really cool when you can sort of turn that on its head or show um even show images in relation to each other I love using collage because it allows you to consider that that in between and gray space between so many different um, images and how they come together. Yeah. Very cool. Go ahead, Dave. I think just there's two frameworks, there's concept and execution. Mm -hmm. And you can have a great concept and not so great execution and still pull it off. But if you don't have a great concept, no matter how good your execution mm -hmm. is, that's all you got. Decoration. Yeah. yeah. Making things pretty <laughs> is kind of what you said earlier. Exactly. <laughs> yep, exactly. I think it's very cool. Um, also, and I do want to say, like, I got to get this in. When we say data visualization, we don't mean infographics. So what folks are going to get is something much more interesting and, and dynamic than, than uh, you know, straight infographic with lots of statistics. So I just want to call that out. I'm super excited for all of the um, art and design and um, the sort of graphic quality of what you all are producing. When you're working on this online version of the magazine, what has stood out to you as, like, a core difference or something that really sets it apart from what we did previously in our more analog versions. Straight off the bat, which is really awesome, is every other time we've done the magazine, it's been the magazine. And unless you have all five or all four versions of the magazine, you don't have the whole thing. With this, it's a combined thing. Every edition of the magazine is there. That's really yeah. super cool. And the other thing about it is we feel like a lot of times we're thinking about who's who's the reader? Is the reader going to get value out of this? And with this platform, there's a jumping off point for everybody. You can be like, yeah. if you're interested in this, click here. And that relates to a lot of the other content that we have been producing over the years. You know, yeah. we puts out a lot of content. 
you know, so we've got case studies, blogs, and things like that. So there's a way to link all that in in one package that with a printed version, we we weren't uh, really able to do as easily. Yeah. yeah, I think in the book format, you it's really difficult to avoid how linear it reads, you know, and, and you can use that to your advantage in telling a story and what you want to lead with, what you want to conclude with. But the cool thing about an online interactive interface is it's almost like a choose your own adventure mm -hmm. sort of situation where you can choose how you navigate through the pieces and also what information you get first and and what you want to focus on and i think we're doing a great job in this this volume five of considering the different audiences and making sure that everyone gets a takeaway or something that is useful to them or even just something to reference some of them are really great frameworks where maybe you've done this research before and you kind of know what to expect but it's a hub that has everything accessible and really well designed so that you see um like i'm almost thinking of maybe i shouldn't name drop one in particular you'll you'll probably see what i'm talking about but it's this web visualization of a sort of ecosystem of of this program and so you get to see all the links and the different parts and then learn about each of the links within this larger visualization so i think that that's the main difference of just the way that we're presenting this allows for this greater level of interactivity and your, your own kind of questions coming into it of what you want to get out of it. I love that. I'm going to end on the magazine discussion there, but I do have questions about you guys that I think are really important to ask too, because one of my favorite things about these podcasts is the opportunity for folks who don't get to work with you guys to get to know you more too. And that includes basically anyone who's listening. So outside of your work, what is exciting you the most right now? You want to go um, first, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, okay. So Dave can attest to this because while we're in Pluto doing our work, I'll always have different playlists on like from like Russian post-punk to like a 60s sort of French new wave or like a vintage dub reggae, like all, all different kinds of stuff. And I really am into a music scene also here in Tucson. Uh, so El Tambo is like a DJ group and they do kind of like cumbia mixes. And I've, I have a background in performance and dance. And so I've always really loved like just the anticipation and excitement around live shows and performances. And I, I used to make a lot of, or still do make visuals and animations for projections with live shows and kind of responding to music. So there's just something really cool about that scene. That's a sort of intersection of art, of performance, of music, of, um, you know, even like spoken word poetry, or there's a lot of social organizing that goes behind those events. Um, and even kind of like a real rawness to certain kind of groups that maybe don't traditionally show up in like, in professional settings, but have a really tight social network where they show up for each other, they'll bring food, they'll, you know, in Tucson, there's so many different places where they'll just have drinks and you can Venmo, like it's a very kind of open source fun space. And yeah. I find so much value in that. Um, and whether that's just being there for the music or whether there's like a larger social purpose to gathering with people. That's very cool. You guys share some things in that in a lot of ways. Yeah. How yeah. about you, Dave? 
Well, um, I'm really hardcore into mechanical things like old cars. Uh, I have two Harleys, one of them I've torn the engine apart. Like I've, I've never <laughs> had an engine this far torn apart. And it's funny because when I'm doing that, I'm thinking about how compact that is and how those systems all work together. And it's a Harley Davidson, which is really not technologically advanced. It's very old technology, but it reminds me of things like like working together, design systems, workflows. It's very strange. This is that thing where I, I um, am thinking about problem solving at work and I connect it to things mechanical. Um, mm -hmm. I like metal fabrication. I, I live in an industrial space that always needs work. So I, I spend a lot of my time uh, doing that. But when I, when I came on full-time, I'd played in bands for decades. I'm, I'm a drummer and I, I stopped. Um, I just just really didn't want to do bands anymore and, and kind of um, didn't want to get into it. And um, when I was, when I was very young, uh, my mom, we didn't have a lot of money and my mom, uh, she got me into playing drums and my mom passed away uh, recently and, and um, I got back into it and, and it's That's been cool. really super cool. Like I even found the book, like the first book when I was 10 years old. Yeah. Anyway, I've been, I've been playing again and it's been really, really awesome. And it's like every day I want to play. Yeah. So I love that. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. That's what it is too. I mean, with music, like there's yeah. so much power in that too. Like, mm -hmm. in just, I don't know, like just the backgrounds and memories that people have mm -hmm. attached to those things, like even food, like when yeah. you show up to a really good concert yeah. or venue or like people are just playing music, they all show up with stuff. And that's, I, I get that. Like, it's it's so it's deep it's so deep for a lot of people you know what's been really cool about it is it is a physical thing like i mm -hmm. i think that in thinking a lot in a way that can almost that can that can be a curse and a blessing you know what i mean sure. like it has to yeah. be a physical way where where i get that out and i think that this kind of drumming that i'm doing yes it's very starting from the beginning but i've got some friends and and we're, we're putting a band together. We're just playing punk covers, but it's been so yeah. much fun. Well, I think something you're hitting on to Dave is that there's, there's these other reasons as to why this is our career track too. Like, mm -hmm. I think there's something with a lot of designers of just holding on to that ability to play in some space, like with design, you're like visually playing and there's there's still that um, that kind of driving force even on some of the more traditional deliverables like the, it's it ties into something that probably has been a part of us for a really really long time and so it's cool mm -hmm. to it's cool to stick with that and also to see the connection to other things in life and how that how that blends in you know like with art dance and music it's like being excited by the human experience in general mm -hmm. and all the overlaps and all of our differences. Yeah. And I was going to say, as both of you were talking, I think that one thing that's very clear is that there's just so much heart in everything that you do, you know, and it's, um, it's a real gift to be able to access that and to embrace it and, um, and bring it forward in all of the spaces that you engage in. And it, it just feels really clear. Like it, it comes through like me, not in Pluto, behind a computer screen in the newly, the new <laughs> podcast room, <laughs> newly discovered podcast room. I mean, I can feel it. And it, and it does show up in what you do and the way you talk about what you do. And so it, this has been such a fun podcast. I want a round two because I feel like there's so much more we can riff on. And, um, 
I know the folks listening are going to feel that way too. And I feel super lucky and grateful to have you both with us and, um, and just, you know, grateful for the way in which you elevate the work and the thought work of our team and really showcase them with all the heart that you bring to it. So thank you so much. I just appreciate you both so much. Thanks. Yeah, thank you. Thank you again for listening today. I hope you enjoyed hearing from Dave and Dorsey as much as I enjoyed connecting with them. Today's session was brought to you by Alum's production team, which actually, FYI, includes Dave and Dorsey. And uh, music is by Blue Dot Sessions. Have a good one, y'all. Talk soon.